Well, guys, like the song said, tonight we are continuing on our sermon series called Follow Me. Tonight's message is called Follow Me to Second Place. Now, this one is a little bit difficult for us because we don't really like this idea of second place. We always want to be the first at everything. We have this competitive nature. And then we have movies like Talladega Nights that tell us, if you ain't first, you're last. There you go. But sometimes it's the exact opposite. Sometimes uh, we need to go back to our roots. You know that expression when we were little kids? First is the worst, second is the best, third is the one with the hairy chest. We're not talking about third place tonight, though. We're going to talk about the relationship of first and second. We're going to talk about the fact that sometimes we try to make ourselves Lord of our life instead of allowing God to be Lord of our lives. Because sometimes first can really be the worst. When we try to be that person that's in control, that's in power, we can get ourselves into some really bad situations. But second can be the best because we can just rest in the abundance that Christ has for us. We can walk in the steps that he puts out for us. Before we really dig deep into this, though, would you pray with me? Dear God, I just pray that you would take away all distractions tonight. God, I just pray that in this place we might meet you, uh, maybe for the first time for some of us. For some of us, maybe it's a meeting again um, with us coming back to you, Lord. And God, I just pray that um, as we talk tonight that we can all grow in some way, shape, or form. Lord, thank you for your goodness, thank you for your cross, and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Being in second place takes humility, um, but I believe that it's the way that God has designed us as human beings. I started thinking of an illustration, and the only thing I could think of was this. Uh, imagine a strip, a power strip, is plugged into the wall, and in that power strip, you have a lamp, but also plugged into that same power strip is an additional power strip. And in the second power strip, you have a second lamp. Now, if I turn off the power on the second strip, the second light might turn off, but the first one is not affected. The first light is still going to shine. The power was not cut off there. You see, sometimes in our life, we believe that what we do, the way that we love God can affect God, but it can't. You see, God says in his word that he does not change, that he's um, ever-present, that he's always there that he's strong and that he's mighty. But see what happens when we want to become Lord of our lives, what happens when we mix up who's in power, who's in control, is that we replace this thing that doesn't change, this thing that's strong, that's mighty, that's in control, that offers hope and peace and a plan. And we replace it with something that's weak, with something that's fragile, with something that's going to stumble and break. And you see, when we put ourselves in that power position, when we put ourselves in that spot, we then become responsible for our, for our actions. We become uh, people that have consequence, not grace or freedom, not people that are Christians. You see, when we gave our lives to Christ, when we accepted Jesus as Savior in our life, we said, God, I need you. God, I need you to come in my life because I can't do this on my own. Because I can't get to heaven by my good deeds because I'll fail. You see, immediately in that moment, we said to God, God, I'm second. You need to be first. Sometimes I think we just forget that. There's a story in Scripture, and I love this story because it beautifully illustrates how God's love is so much more significant than ours. God's love is so much um, more mighty and powerful. And it's a story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. 
Now, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were three of the closest people in Jesus' life. Um, anytime that Jesus was near Bethel, he would stay with these people. They were some of his greatest friends. And as the story goes, Lazarus becomes extremely sick. Um, we know because of church and because of scripture that eventually Lazarus dies. And it's one of Jesus' greatest miracles is that he raises Lazarus from the dead. But when Mary and Martha find out that he's sick, they decide that they're going to write a letter to Jesus. Now, I began thinking about what I might put in the letter to this guy that I respect, to this guy that I love, um, what I might say to try to convince him to do something for me, to do me a favor. I started thinking of things like, Jesus, you are so mighty and so great, and your miracles just never cease to amaze me, and your goodness is just so lavish and extreme. You know, really buttering him up good, flattering him trying to get what I want by telling him how great he is. But that's not what Mary and Martha did here. Instead, what they wrote in the letter was this. Jesus, your brother, Lazarus, that guy that you love. Lazarus, whom you love. You see, Mary and Martha knew that talking about Jesus and how much they loved Jesus couldn't save Lazarus. The only thing that possibly had the capacity to save Lazarus was the fact that Jesus loved him. And scripture went on and it said that Jesus also loved Mary and Martha. Jesus also loved Mary and Martha. Now, there's a guy in the Bible and his name is John. And John was one of the guys. You had John, Peter, and James. And those were Jesus' go-to people, the disciples that um, were always included in the private meetings. Kind of like the holy three amigos. Those people that Jesus really leaned on. If it was present day, it would be like me, Chris Allman, and Chris Riddle. I mean, that's how holy these guys were. <laughs> and so John identifies himself in Scripture. He wrote a few books of the Bible, and five times he identifies himself as this. He says, John, the disciple whom you love. You see, Scripture gets it right. Scripture realizes that the significance needs to be put on the Father, the significance needs to be put on the one who's in control, who's mighty, and who has power, not on us. It's not about me. You see, oftentimes, I think we learn from what we're around. We learn from the relationships that are in our lives. We learn mostly from our parents. And there's no greater illustration of the way that God leads and loves than the illustration of a father and a son. You know, growing up, there was this phrase that my da dad would always say, and it's a phrase that no kid likes to hear. It's when you want to go over to a friend's house or you want to do something and you ask your dad and he says no. And so you say, you know, why? You know, because everybody wants a reason. No just doesn't cut it. And so you ask why. And he says those words, because I said so. You know, now looking back, I know that it was out of love. I know that it was him trying to protect me, to guide me. But then it just infuriated me. And in the same way, I think sometimes we try to get ahead of God. We try to get around what he has for us. He has all these plans, all these things that he wants for us, wants to pour out his blessing upon us. If we'll just wait upon him, if we'll just pray to him and wait for his approval, wait for what he has for us. But instead, we try to do it on our own. We want a reason. And when he doesn't give it to us, when he says just have faith, that's not good enough. And so we, we tend to walk away from what God has for us. See, there's something that's pretty great about God, and that's that he does not change. 
So the only person that can affect a relationship between the Father and the Son, between God and you, God and me, the only person that can affect that relationship is me. If this is God, everyone here would agree that I couldn't move this even if I tried by myself. But I have the ability to walk down this aisle. I have the ability to walk away from this stage, walk into temptation, walk into brokenness, walk into pain. You see, God has all of this for me right here. God has his plan, he has his purpose, and he has his power. And if I just stay behind him, if I just stay in second place, I can rest in the shadow of the cross. I can rest in the reality that I have grace to save me when I mess up. I can step in the footsteps that he's laying for me. But you see, sometimes we go around it. And we open ourselves up to pain, to temptation, and to chaos. You see, second place has so many benefits. So many benefits. See, the, the father-son relationship goes even deeper. Um, like I said, you learn from what you see. You learn from what you hear. And I remember this story from when I was younger. And my little sister Blair was probably four or five years old. And she was grocery shopping with my mom. And so, you know, they were going and checking things off their list. And there was all the samples out in the grocery store. You know how Kroger sometimes does that. And so my mom saw some cookies, and she said, oh, I'm going to steal me a cookie. So she ate the cookie and, you know, kept going about her uh, shopping trip. And then they got to the checkout line. And my mom realized that Blair was holding a bag of cookies. And so my mom said to Blair, all right, honey, you know, got to give me the cookies. I got to pay for them. And my sister got this look on her face, and she said, no. She, she just would not give the cookies to my mom. And so the cashier kind of looked at my mom funny and my mom was kind of confused, and she said, Now, honey, if you want the cookies, you've got to put them up here so I can pay for them. And Blair said, with all the seriousness in the world, No, Mom, I steal. I steal these cookies. And so immediately, my mom gets infuriated, and she's like, Blair, seriously. Like, people are looking, you know, giving her glares. Like, seriously? You're a great mom. And, and Blair just gets fired up. No, Mom, I steal. You steal cookies. I steal cookies. And so mom proceeded to walk to the next aisle and buy some duct tape. I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. But the point of the story is that we learn from what we see and from what we hear. You see, God has demonstrated his love for us in so many different ways. He died on a cross for us. He loves the broken. He loves the people that are unlovable. He loved you and me to the point that he died for us. You see, so many times we feed into what the world tries to tell us love is. We buy into the fact of consumerism, that we need certain things, and that love is just about sex and stuff, when in reality, God has so much more for us, when in reality, God just wants our heart. God just wants us to surrender to him. God wants to give us an abundant life filled with purpose, but instead we cling to things, to stuff that are temporary instead of learning from the Father in the way that he's loved us. See, second place helps us put things in perspective, helps us have somebody to follow, have uh, somebody to look to as a role model and a guide. There's a video clip, and I think that it kind of demonstrates a guy who learned how to love from his father. He actually says those words in this clip. Check it out. How did this sweet little boy, Julian, end up under your supervision? I told social services that my name was Kevin Garrity. And of course, you are not Kevin Garrity. No. So you're lying. Yes. 
Like the time I found a bag of pot in your underwear drawer, and you told me that you thought they were pencil shavings. Yeah. And remember when I called you up and told you that your Aunt Faye was coming to New York, and I wanted you to take her around, show her the city? And you said that you had better things to do, didn't you? That's right. Now, I'm curious. Just what were those better things that you had to do? Jethro Tull had a reunion concert in New Jersey, so I caught that. Uh-huh. And what happened to your Aunt Faye that weekend? She died. Yes, she did. By any chance, did you happen to make it to her funeral? No. Why not? I went to Jones Beach, got drunk and fell asleep. <laughs> yes. Some role model. Yeah. Your Honor, my son doesn't have health insurance. He doesn't know how to boil an egg. He filed for Social Security at the age of 30. He is a drain on the economy, on the country, and most of all, on me! Your Honor, to give this young man custody over another life is not only wrong, it's insane. Hey, I love you. What? You don't have to be scared. It's all right. What are you talking about? I'm not scared. If I get custody of Julian, I'll be his father forever. And that scares you because you think there's a good chance I might fail. Sonny, it's more than a chance. It's a certainty. You're wrong, Dad. You can be scared that I might get pickpocketed in a bad neighborhood or I might break my leg skiing, but don't be scared about me being a dad because I will not fail at that. I can't. I love this kid too much. I love him as much as you love me, Dad. And I'm going to give him advice and I'm going to guide him and I'm going to be there for him whenever he needs me. I'll fly to New York to be at his court case, even if I disagree with why he's there in the first place. Sonny. Work in a toll booth. Don't be scared about me making money. I am in love with a beautiful girl who makes plenty of it. She'll be my sugar mama. Oh, I gotta get me one of those. I know this is the right thing to do, Dad, because I would die for this kid, just so he wouldn't have to feel one ounce of sadness. That's why you're here right now, to protect me, to be scared for me, to be a good father. And that's exactly what I'm gonna be. Hello, Dad. Yeah, I just wanted to say I love you. Hi, Mom. Could you put down the phone for a second? This flunk kind to Papa. Can I borrow that when you're done? Your Honor, my son deserves this kid. You know, Adam Sandler is one of the funniest guys I've seen on TV, but... He said something there that holds a lot of truth. He said to his dad, I can't fail. I love this kid as much as you love me. Can you imagine what our lives might look like if we begin to love people like God loves us? Can you imagine how much we can impact and change this world? So tonight I just want to challenge you. Maybe the challenge is this. Maybe you've been trying to be in control of your life for too long. Maybe you gave your life to Christ, but... You're not following him. You're running away from his will and what he has for you. You're putting yourself in the line of fire. 
instead of just resting in his grace. Maybe tonight is the moment that you say, God, you're number one. I don't know best. Your plans are more important than mine, more grand than mine. I fail, you don't. But maybe for you tonight, it's not that. Maybe for you, it's um, simply just saying, you know what? Sometimes I under, I'm very unappreciative. God, I don't truly think about the way that you've loved me. You know, I take it for granted. I say that I'm a Christian, and I reap all the benefits of being a Christian. You know, I can pray to you, and you can give me strength and peace, but how much do I ever say thank you? Thanks, Dad, for being there. I mean, he's there all the time, every single day, 24 hours of the day. Maybe tonight my challenge for you is this, that you would appreciate that love. And not just appreciate it, but respond. See, I think that when we truly understand the way that God loves us, when we truly grasp what he's done, when we truly see that he is number one and Lord of our lives, we can't help but be so filled with his love and his spirit that we pour it out onto every person that we come into contact with. So tonight as the band plays through this next song, I just want to encourage you to stand up, to sing the words, and to think about how God truly does love you. Maybe one way you want to respond is you want to give back what he's already given you with tithes. Maybe it's you just coming down on the altar and getting real with God and saying, you know what, my life doesn't show a man who loves God. It doesn't show a man responding to the grace of God. God, help me just draw near to you. Maybe for you, this is the first time you've ever really even thought about encountering God. Maybe for you, you've been doing it on your own for a long time. You've been number one. You've been the go-to guy. You've been the person that people lean on. Well, there's a God who loves you, who has more for you, who wants to comfort you and walk you through the hard times of life. He wants to protect you with his grace and his mercy. A guy who loves better than we can even imagine. Maybe tonight the way you need to respond is by taking communion. Drinking from the cup that represents the blood of Christ. That washes away our sins. That makes us clean. That makes us worthy. And eating the bread that represents his body broken for you and for me. He didn't have to die for us. But he did. Because that's how God loves us.
saying the words, how he loves us. But do we really think about what he did for us? How he really loves us. You see, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. He walked the same kind of life that we walked. He lived in a world filled with brokenness, with hurt, with pain, with temptation. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Can you imagine perfection walking among dirtiness, filth, walking among his creation that completely went against everything that he had for them? Can you imagine that heartache? Like watching a wayward child ruin their life. He had to go through that every single day. And then you start thinking about the physical pain of the cross. You see, every time they whipped his back or when they drove that nail in his hand, he was thinking of you. Every time he said, See, I think that sometimes love is such a, a thrown around word that it loses its potency. We say things like we love a cheeseburger or we love uh, a sunrise or we love our brother. And there's so many different forms of the word love. So many different variables can affect it. But none of this, none of these earthly kind of love can even touch the way that God loves us. died for us. And I think that when we truly understand that, when we grasp a hold of this, when we remember the cross, when we remember that perfection bled and died so that we might have abundant life, that we might have life with the Father, when we remember that, how could we possibly live a bitter life? How could we possibly live a life where we don't want to wake up in the morning and just talk about Jesus? How could we possibly want to give in to temptation? The God of the universe loves us. You see, that's something that's worth talking about. It's not something that's expected. You see all of these concerts where you have these big rock stars and crazy fans that are just screaming, worshiping these guys. And that's normal, but when these rock stars step off the stage, when they go visit that fan in the hospital, or when they put their arm around a fan in the concert, that's when the news just blows up. Because this guy that's righteous, that's holy, that's in the limelight, that has all these great things, steps down into our world. Average Joe. And he loves us. And you see, that's not something that's normal. That's something that's talked about. Why don't we talk about it? Why don't we express God's love? So as we sing through these words, oh, how he loves us, don't let it just be words. Sing it triumphantly. Sing it passionately and allow it to lead you out those doors with a mission to respond to his love to demonstrate it in your own life